It was January 1985, and the Apple office had just released the LaserWriter, the first laser printer available for the mass market. Unlike traditional inkjets that use tiny nozzles to spray ink on paper, the laser printer uses toner powder, which is then attracted to the paper via static electricity. The results were more accurate color matching that could enable lower-resolution photos to look great on paper. Excited by the market's appetite for the laser writer, entrants started coming in. And by the late 1980s, the commercial printing industry was worried. Witnessing the excitement was a man named Ernest Koo, a natural-born Filipino who found himself working in Los Angeles, California. This could be huge, Ernest might have thought, as all around him he noticed desktop publishing shops opening up. With every shop opening, Ernest would have felt that a crucial opportunity was lost, and eventually his thoughts would become an itch that could not be ignored. In 1986, he decided to operate a franchise store of Alpha Graphics, one of the leading desktop publishing companies in the U.S. Initially, he was proven right. Money flowed in rapidly, and within the next five years, he could acquire three more branches, even expanding to Vancouver. In the process of growing his company, he had observed the impact of his hands-on nurturing, and without realizing, he fell in love with the business. A dangerous feeling for an entrepreneur. On August 2, 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait, which sparked the California recession. At 2 a.m. local time on August the 2nd, Iraqi troops crossed the border into Kuwait, and its army of just 20,000 men... Companies that could sense the uncertainty before it happened had benefited greatly. One of them was the Alpha Graphics founder, who sold his company right before the crash. However, Ernest, who had fallen in love with his franchise, decided against it, almost certain that he could get a higher price. When the economy collapsed, he still maintained a positive outlook and began investing his own cash, totaling 700,000 US dollars, before realizing that he was deluded. With his dreams shattered, he might have even considered calling it quits if not for his wife and two kids. A moment of determination that would have a far-reaching impact. Over the years that followed, he would diligently hustle, then return to the Philippines where he would succeed, then fail yet again, before receiving an offer to work in Globe Telecom. And Globe Telecom has signed a 5.4 billion peso There, he would find success beyond anything that he had ever done before reshaping the world of connectivity in the Philippines and birthing the nation's first made-in-the-Philippines unicorn. From 1UP Media, this is Empires, episode two of a four-part series, Finding Connection. Infrastructure. This consists of 84% ground-based power.
Ernest Lawrence Koo is widely credited along with his team for transforming Globe Telecom into the telecommunications behemoth that it is today. This was an astronomical task, considering where Globe Telecom was. Both PLDT and Globe Telecom had started about the same time. PLDT focused on domestic landlines, while Globe had focused on international and domestic messaging. Because PLDT was more established locally, it drew the attention of the powerful Cojuanco family, who gained favor during the era of Philippine dictator Ferdinand Marcos. PLDT was nationalized, then funded by government contracts. By the end of the regime, 92% of all telephone lines nationwide were controlled by PLDT. During this time, Globe was building itself up quietly, acquiring companies and attracting investment from the powerful Ayala family, whose legacy spans for over a century. But their war chest is still dwarfed by the new head of PLDT, Manny Veles Pangilinan, or MVP. MVP came from Hong Kong's first Pacific company, who was estimated to be three times the size of the Kohuanko family. By the end of the 1990s, the industry had gone through rapid change, primarily the liberalization that forced PLDT to allow other competitors to use its landlines for a fee. Among the contenders, Globe had risen to become number two. But back then, it still seemed miles away. PLDT commanded over twice the number of users and operating cash flow, with about four times the market value as Globe. As PLDT and Globe continued into the next decade, they found themselves increasingly at loggerheads with one another, growing more and more suspicious of each other's behavior. It's October 26, 1999, and the officers of Globe Telecom had an executive meeting. An analyst had just presented to the team more complaints from Globe subscribers, who were beginning to feel frustrated with their connectivity. What do you mean we've got another complaint on the speed? Wasn't this already addressed just last week? Globe Telecom, like many other competitors, were reliant on PLDT whose fixed-line network allowed interconnection. Globe Telecom's executive team had instructed them to run a check just last week, which indicated that their systems were doing well. Everything on our end works, which leaves only one issue. PLDT's network is the problem. But there's no way to be sure. An executive joined the debate. You're right, there isn't. But historically, we know that PLDT had slowed down transmissions during the Marcos era. We'll be dumb to think that they wouldn't do so now, right? The rooms were in tacit agreement. It seemed only logical. Bring the PR guys in. Let's take the fight to PLDT. The following week, down a street away, the PLDT office was furious. You can't be serious! MVP exclaimed as he threw the national newspaper on the table. It was a full-page advertisement by Globe, informing all subscribers that PLDT might be blocking their calls. The following day, PLDT published a statement that Globe was using their landlines illegally and clogging the system. They believe that Globe did so by disguising their international calls as domestic. This sparring back and forth became a routine public affair as their rivalry intensified. 
By 2004, the Philippines and the world were starting to experience the mobile revolution, and Nokia phones were found everywhere. At that time, it's estimated that the mobile penetration in the Philippines was around 25%, which bode well for Globe. Ten years ago, they had placed a bet that the mobile revolution would happen, and it was the first among its competitors to offer mobile subscription-based services. The result? It became a dominant player within the small group of mobile phone users, owning close to 40% of the plans. Globe may have celebrated if the remaining years had not been a hellhole for Globe's only successful segment. You see, Globe had offered postpaid plans, the type of plans that we are most familiar with today. You pay a monthly sum to use a monthly mobile access that's typically signed for a year. It might seem normal and intuitive to all of us, but in the Philippines, a postpaid plan spells trouble. Payment cycles in the Philippines often follow a fortnight schedule, and families also tend to be larger, which means that variable household expenses tend to take a large part of their pay. Filipinos are therefore drawn to plans that are highly customizable and flexible to better manage their household expenses. The oldest and most successful industries within a country understand these factors well. In particular, laundry that doesn't serve detergent in bottles, but instead in sachets. So prevalent are sachets that the business term is sachet-driven market, used to describe how, in the Philippines, smaller a la carte packages are the norm. Naturally, postpaid seemed less attractive, which is why prepaid plans would be the most successful. Globe's 40% share was their first mover advantage, which quickly lost steam when Smart Communications, another telecom rival, offered better prepaid plans. To make matters worse, Sun Cellular started offering unlimited calls and text within the same network, and users began migrating over to Sun, and then Smart, who also offered unlimited. By the time Globe followed suit, its share fell from 40% to 33%. By the late 2000s, many thought Globe was finished when PLDT acquired both Sun and Smart, consolidating the category as the mobile titan. In a desperate attempt, Globe knew that they would require a complete transformation, which was how Ernest Koo came into the picture. Hey, we've got a couple of seconds before Ernest Koo arrives. If you enjoy Empire so far, please give us a quick five-star review on wherever you're listening to Empires. It'll help the podcast. Thanks. Now let's go meet Ernest. It's October 2008, and Ernest Koo was at the Manila Southwoods Golf and Country Club practicing his swings. He was 48 this year and had experienced a number of things that made him melancholic. The past few years of his corporate life had been exciting. After losing his first business, Alpha Graphics, he had thought the world was over. But strangely, a headhunter called, inviting him to be a digitization consultant for an older printing enterprise, Crestec, a Japanese printing company. Without many options left, he thought, why not? By a mixture of luck and effort, he was then requested to work full-time before the company started going through a financial downturn. 
The team, realizing that Ernest had experience with recessions, promoted him to CFO, hoping that he could turn the company around. A job assumed he had done well, as he was offered the CEO position shortly after. But to him, the personal printing industry was sunsetting, so it might not be too attractive in the future. As such, he returned to the Philippines. At that time, he had spent 14 years in the U.S. and noticed a shift in how clerical work was done. Increasingly, customer service or administration seemed to be less face-to-face and instead done online or on the phone. This opened up job opportunities to immigrants who were willing to take lower pay, but were very tech-savvy. The term would be known today as BPO, or Business Process Outsourcing, which would become a key driver for the Philippine economy in the future. Today, about 10% of Filipinos are employed in over 1,000 BPO companies. But back then, it was an industry that didn't even have a name to it. Hopeful for the future, he decided to take the plunge and joined SPI Technologies, the ninth largest independent BPO service provider worldwide. There, he would spend the next 10 years establishing the first call center, later renamed to eTelecare, and making a name for himself within the BPO industry. Today, the Philippines is known as the top country for outsourcing customer service and back office operations. After SPI, Ernest had decided that retirement doesn't suit him. But neither does running a large enterprise. His solution came when an investor turned friend in SPI reached out to Ernest to start a fund. It was a dream come true. His friend could manage the business of funds and Ernest could suss out great businesses to invest in. As a team, they agreed that a $200 million fund would be a great place to start. So at the end of 2007, Ernest left as the CEO of SPI and established Aligned Capital. Then came 2008, the year when the Great Recession hit. Apple shares are just getting hammered this morning. We're down by between 3 and 4.5% generally across the... Let's talk about the speed with which we are watching this market deteriorate. We're down over 16%. Dow at the same time... Funds, banks, corporations who had previously relied on cheap debt eventually accumulated too much, which culminated in the Lehman Brothers collapse on September 15, 2008. At that time, they had over $600 billion in debt. This crisis trickled to the rest of the world, and the outlook was pessimistic. Learning from his past experience running Alpha Graphics, Ernest told himself to never fall in love with a business that is facing terrible headwinds, like a fund during a recession. So he and his partner called it quits, returned the money to investors, and decided to practice his swings in Manila Southwood's Golf and Country Club for the unforeseeable future. Until... Hi, is this Ernest? Yes? Who's this? Hi, it's Jaime from the Ayala Group. Would you be free for breakfast tomorrow? Breakfast? Yeah, sure. What's it about? We'll talk over breakfast. This will be one of many breakfasts that Ernest would have with Jaime. At first, for Jaime to understand Ernest a little better. Then, for Ernest to report to Jaime about Globe's progress. 
Because by October 2008, Ernest would be hired as CEO with the task to fully transform Globe. It's the beginning of 2010, and Ernest Koo was being chaperoned in by an entourage tasked to onboard him as quickly as possible on Globe situation. He already knew that they were going up against the behemoth PLDT and that their mobile subscriber base was dwindling. Nonetheless, he was confident. After all, he had sold his previous company, SPI Technologies, for a whopping 163 million US dollars. Ironically, the buyer was PLDT, the opponent that he was now determined to compete against. Ernest, today's meeting is a consumer immersion. We select about six to eight SIM card users, then ask them qualitative questions to understand their habits. A consumer specialist explained. Yep, we did something similar in SBI. The door is open, and the SIM card user walked in. Hi, thanks for joining us again. How are you? The roads were so traffic, but thankfully, I made it on time. Okay, let's talk about how you start your day. First thing in the morning, what do you do? The user began to explain that one of the best parts in the morning was checking her phone, learning about the gossip that she might have missed last night, or making conversation with a friend. Tell us, what's the process like? She began to take out her phone and the small packet containing SIM cards. Then she would replace each SIM card and repeat the process until she's done so for all. Her habit seems puzzling to most. But back then, it was common for a Filipino to own multiple SIM cards because each carrier had provided different deals. Seeing her run through those SIM cards like clockwork worried Ernest because to her, every SIM card had seemed indifferentiated. Could you ask her, Ernest was messaging the interviewer, how does she determine which SIM stays in her phone for the entire day? The lady then started explaining that the cost of mobile is expensive. So for her, it's about the most value for money, which often means the carrier that has all her friends on it. Because carriers were offering free SMS and calls to users on the same network. To Ernest, her habits were sobering. In the BPO industry, sales were won via superior client service and customizability. But that's because he would have a few big companies, vastly different from telecom, where the man on the street is your potential customer. As the day came to a close, Ernest was struck by a realization that to stay in the era of calls and text, Globe would have to compete either on pricing or establishing a wide network. It also didn't help that any subscriber they had was really only a visitor, as everyone was on multiple prepaid cards and would swap at a moment's notice. Something had to change. And after his first year understanding the company, he realized that Globe might have a shot at taking down the big guy. But it would be a phenomenal undertaking. Ernest had observed the U.S. release of the iPhone in 2007, then its global rollout that hit the Philippines in August 2008. The groundswell that emerged and rapid innovation that followed had brought the U.S. to the information age. And soon, it would hit the Philippines, presenting a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for GLOBE, where the rules of the telecom world would shift from calls and text to data volume and speed. 
It would be Globe's one shot at leapfrogging its opponents. But with a massive legacy interface and a demoralized team, transforming Globe would prove to be a world of change for everyone. ...and a larger subscriber base boosted first quarter profit at Globe Telecom. Let's bring in Globe's president and CEO, Ernest Ku, who joins us exclusively on the line... From, from 1UP Media, this is Empires. Episode 2 of a four-part series, Finding Connection. Next in Empires, we'll follow the rise of Globe that made it the leading telecommunications company in the Philippines. Follow us so you won't miss out on episode three of our four-part series, A World of Change. Empires is a one-up media original, produced and edited by Kuang Jin, audio experienced by Ethan Sam, and narrated by Louise Cruz. Additional voices by Claire Bernal. A quick word on our reenactments and dramatizations. While we can't know exactly what they say, think, or feel at the moment, it's all based on research. Thank you for listening.